0: 1 Peter chapter 2, if you would go ahead and get ready there. We're going to finish up chapter 2 today, and we're going to look at the life of Jesus in regard to how He dealt with this issue that we've been looking at, unjust suffering and the reality of things uh, that we face in regard to our faith. And just, we had a really good time in the first service this morning, and I think that you will see that God has some really great things uh, for us. We have been looking over the last several weeks, if you look at verse 13, we have been looking at the subject of how do you submit yourself to different things. And we saw in verse 13 uh, through 17, it was in regard to how do we as believers submit to government. Uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, in reg- in, from verse 18 to verse, uh, we, we, we went, went through 21 and we'll start 21 today. We looked at through most of the Roman world, uh, there were slaves, about half the kingdom were slaves and were enslaved or the others and how do those Christians uh, relate to their masters and so we're going to see from the life of Jesus today, how do we relate to injustice that comes to us or injustice, I guess the word is, that comes to us, how do we respond to the reality of that and we will see that from the life of Jesus himself. It's really great to be back. Uh, this text that we will look at today is one of the unique texts in the whole book of 1 Peter. And what Peter writes under the inspiration of the Spirit today, we will see, is he knows well and good that this was true about Jesus in regard to how Jesus responded to this because he watched it from the entire time he walked with Jesus. He was able to see how Jesus responded, particularly... In regard to the persecution from the religious leaders. And ultimately, at the end of Jesus' life, we know it ended in a cross. The, un, the innocent one suffering such, such a, um, so much evil and depravity at the hands of man. And we will see how Jesus responded to all of that. We have uh, just returned on Friday morning from a place where we literally are able to see because we know people there who deal with this reality of persecution. Um, As a matter of fact, uh, it is increasing in that nation on a a pretty significant level. We saw it in the village that we stayed in in regard to uh, one of the young men who's come to faith there, whose father has turned against him and is really putting a lot of pressure on him for being a part of the fellowship there uh, in the place where... um, of the church has been built. And we will share more about that next week. You will see some literal pictures of kind of what happened and took place. And and uh we have the let me just kinda of give you a little bit of preview. We have the opportunity in a place where um we were able to see it up close where the gospel is just not ever been. That God has been doing things and we have an opportunity because of our partnership there to really plant more churches in the days ahead in places where um, people just have not heard of the name of Jesus. We, we had a po- pretty powerful thing happen one day. Uh, these uh, They do church there on Saturday. We had these three sisters show up. They walked three hours to come to church from another village on the other side of a mountain on the other side of another mountain, and then they walked three hours home. You know, sometimes for us, um, if it's raining and sprinkling, we are such weak Christians. We're like, oh... I'll just take a break today. Oh, I didn't go to sleep till midnight last night. I, you know, I'm just, I need to rest tomorrow morning. And we were just reminded that that when, in places where your faith costs you something, you're willing to pay a great price. And so we saw the reality of persecution there. Um, the last night before we flew back to Kathmandu, uh, we stayed in a city in a hotel where the night before a church in that city had been burned. Um likely by Hindu, um, probably radicals in the city and, and uh, in, outside the church hadn't, but the inside, literally everything on the inside had literally uh, been burned and destroyed. And so, so I have uh, this text this morning very fresh in mind in regard to seeing believers who are really wrestling with how do you deal and walk with God in, in a place where there is real significant persecution. And so our, our hearts are full, those of us who went, and I hope that your heart will be full because if you, if you gave money to help build that building, you need to know this, uh, people are coming to faith in that city because of that, that facility. Um, we had this unbelievable privilege uh, the last day, the morning that we left, uh, this group of people came, four of them, well, there's a number of them, two of them on poles, one here, one here, and one back here, and one back here, and they're carrying a woman who hadn't eaten in four days and spoken in four days. And where we were was up here. You go all the way down the mountain. There's a river. And then there you cross the river and you go up the mountain. They live way over there. It takes probably an hour and a half to two hours to come. They carry this woman because they heard there were people there um, from another land. And there were people there that pray. And there's a God that they pray to. So they walk that woman down the mountain across the river up to where we were They prayed over her, we prayed over her, and by the time we left, she was talking. And so, this is deeply Hindu people who have had zero interest in Jesus, and they came that day and stood in that church and heard Jesus proclaimed. And so, God is doing a great work, and He's using our church, and we'll share more about that. I could go on and on, but I guess we ought to get to the text. How about that? You want to do that? How do you deal with... Maintaining your faith in the midst of deep, significant persecution. So let's learn from Jesus. Let's look. First Peter 2, 21. We'll read through the end of the chapter. Verse 25. And we'll see um, what Peter instructs us from the life of Jesus. So he writes, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin So I want to talk this morning for us as we kind of close out this section from the model of Jesus. How do we respond to really difficult situations uh, in the world as Christ followers? You know, this letter was written to people who have fled and they've landed in Pontus, uh, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And they've resettled their life and they've gone there because the world had rejected them. Uh, Nero was after them, and they have fled for their lives, and they've settled. And so Peter's writing to them to remind them that the world has rejected them, but God has chosen them. And they've been given this great hope, this great inheritance, this great salvation. But in the midst of that, in the midst of all that they've been given, there's a reality that the world hates them. And so Peter wants to remind them of something that I think you and I this morning will find fascinating in regard to how Jesus handled all of this. But he writes in verse 21 that there is a calling upon our lives that necessarily we Americans, we don't really fully understand. I described a little bit what's taken place uh, in the place that we just went to. But But the reality is this, is there is a calling upon our lives to suffer for our faith. Now, this is not in regard to sickness. This is what Peter's writing about. This is a calling in regard to... The world hates Jesus. It's going to hate His people. And so how do we deal with the reality of suffering in regard to our faith from a world who brings great persecution? So here's what Peter writes. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. So there is a calling upon our lives in regard to suffering. Great glory came to Jesus because he walked a pathway of suffering. There was great depth to his life, there was great intimacy with the Father because of this reality. There is great glory, there is great depth and understanding of who God is when you and I maintain our faith in the midst of persecution. So great glory came to Jesus as a result of that. And as we walk in His steps, there is a great profound glory that comes to us in receiving more from Him and understanding more from Him. So what Peter writes here is not something new to the New Testament. Paul writes this as well. Listen to these words. Very fascinating what Paul writes as well, the words he uses. This is Philippians one twenty nine. Listen to what he writes. He says, For it has been granted to you. Listen to those words. It has been granted to you. In other words, it has been privileged to you. It has been allowed to come to you from God. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him. So in other words, come to faith. But he also says this but also suffer for his sake. So listen to what Paul says, same thing Peter is saying. For to this you have been called, Peter says, because Christ also suffered you for you. Paul writes, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but you should also suffer for his sake. Since the first century, Christ's followers have suffered against the world system in their view of Christianity And this suffering is nothing that is unusual, but it has come to believers even though we haven't done anything wrong. It comes to us and it's a reality that you and I have to face. I want to show you why this shouldn't be a surprise for us from three things that Jesus said. So we're going to do a little Bible drill. Go to Matthew chapter 10 for a moment. I want to uh, read something from there and then we're going to look at something in John 15 and John 16. So if you would go to Matthew chapter 10 with me. Matthew ten verse twenty one and we'll read it down through twenty-five. So Jesus says is sending out the twelve, and he's telling them, Here's what's the reality that you're going to face. And so in ten twenty-one he says this brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, just stop there for a moment. Listen to this. Listen to these instructions. Hey, I'm about to send you out on the first short-term mission trip. And let me kind of tell you what this is going to be like. You're going to spend the rest of your days fleeing from one town to another because people are going to hate you. Man, you ready to sign up for that? (laughs) That's what he tells them. Listen, this is a reality. Look at verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher. Nor servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his own household? Go to John chapter 15 now. Let's look at these next words from Jesus in regard to his warning and this calling. The same thing Peter and Paul have said. And they are saying it because they know it to be true because, and it also has come from Jesus. John fifteen eighteen, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. And if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Look at 25. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Look at John 16, 1. So Jesus says to them in the upper room, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, not, hey, this might come, but when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So under this calling to suffering, this first point this morning, Let me just say this to you. So he says this, For to this you have been called. You're going to deal with unjust suffering. And here's why you are. Because Christ also suffered for you. You're going to get, as you walk in passionate faith with Him, you're going to get what He got as He walked with passionate faith with His Father. And so He becomes the standard for our understanding of how to deal with unjust suffering. Christ's life was marked with this reality of suffering. And He was the most innocent one who has ever lived on the face of the earth. And He is the just one who suffered for you and I who were completely unjust. This was our heart's response to Him before we came to faith. Now I also want to show you the role of suffering in Jesus' life. And I really want to spend some time on this first point because I think it's really critical. Again, because... There's such safety for us. I, I love our country. I'm so glad I'm back here eating our food. <laughs> oh, I had, uh, I had we had little minnows one day with fish eyes for breakfast. It, was, it wasn't too bad, but um, I'm just glad for American food. It's kind of really, really nice, and I'm back here. But one of the things that, and you and I know this, and it, I, I, I don't mean it as a criticism to us. It's, it's something true about, uh, true about me, me as well. Our faith just doesn't cost us much. We have such freedom that there's not a lot of cost that's connected with it. But there's a reality for our lives that that could come in our lifetime, or maybe our kids see it. Who knows what the reality may be if if it's ever seen in this nation. But there's a depth that comes to knowing Him. And the reason there's a depth that comes in in regard to knowing Him through suffering is that marked Jesus' life. And um, Ed and I were talking earlier, and I don't know how it is with you, but I, I spend a lot of my time trying to, to make sure my life is full of comfort. Are you the same way, or, or maybe you're more spiritual than I am? But I will spend my money sometimes making sure things are comfortable. If the temperature's not right in the house, I get to go change it. Um, it was really good for us to live in a place of no electricity for about six days. Um, and just dealing with the reality of life there, and did, i don 't know if you knew this, but you can live through that. You can actually survive that, and we did that. But I want to show you something from jesus 's life because we kind of feel like we should be exempt from these things. So I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews just to the left of Peter, and I want to show you a couple of things in the role of suffering in the life of Jesus. Hebrews chapter two first, and I want us to look at verse ten. And then we're going to look in chapter 5. And I just want to show you two brief moments, the role of suffering in Jesus' life. We know He suffered with the cross. Um, We don't often think of the suffering in regard to just living here on earth and what He had to deal with. Hebrews 2, verse 10. Look what the writer writes. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through what? What does it say? Through suffering. Now, wait a minute. Now, watch this. Don't don't misunderstand this. This is not Jesus was at a place of imperfection and through suffering got to a place of perfection. No, He was perfect. He was sinless. Here's what this means. is the fulfillment of His perfection was grounded in suffering. And in that, he continued to trust in the Father and never sinned in his body, never sinned with his mouth. And so this marked Jesus' life should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. It's amazing Jesus dealt with that as well. Go to chapter 5, verse 7, and we'll read 7 and 8 of Hebrews, and then we'll get back to 1 Peter. Hebrews 5, 7, In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverence. Let's just stop there for a moment. You ever pause to think about that? When He was 24 years old, we know about Him at age 30, we see in the Gospels, somewhere around there, where he was live, living. But when he was 18, 19, 25, his days were marked with crying out with tears. Father, I've come to please you. Rescue me. Be with me. Save me from death. Look at, and this death is sin. Look at eight. And although he was a son, he learned obedience. How did he learn obedience? What's the text say? How? through what he suffered. So look up here. How silly is it of us to think that if we're going to have a deep life with Jesus, that it's going to come from a life that's full of comfort. He learned obedience, how? Through the things he suffered. And through the things he suffered, you and I know this, if you walk with God for a while, what happens when pain comes? We cry out to God, and there's a depth that comes through that. And we get through it, but there's a depth and an understanding of God and that's what happened with Jesus. By the time he hung on that cross, there was a, he, was, he was God, he was really, <laughs> he was just a little bit deep as a human. But there was a depth to his life because his life was marked by loud cries and tears and submitting to the Father and learning obedience, learning trusting in the Father through suffering. And so let me remind us what Peter says here. For to this, just like Jesus, you have been called to walk a path of suffering so that you would trust in Him and know Him. And as Jesus got great glory and gave great glory to the Father, and by learning obedience through the things He suffered, you also, you've been called to this because Christ has also suffered for you. And so you and I, to know Him deeply, we will go through these things at times. That will bring us to a place of completely trusting in Him. Now, I want to deal with a subject that permeates part of the evangelical world in America today, and it's the health and wealth prosperity gospel movement. It is such I don't don't know how you I don't know how people come up with some of these doctrines that they teach in church and write books about them, and I don't know why Christians bookstores publish them. I don't know why they sell them. Jesus suffered. It is ludicrous to say that, there's, that if suffering comes to us in our lives, then we must have sinned and done something wrong against God. Jesus was innocent, and suffering came, and he learned obedience through suffering. And so there are those who teach, if, you, if you're suffering, you must be out of God's will. Or, they say, you're not appropriating the resources and the riches that have come to you because you know Jesus. You cannot back that up anywhere in Scripture. What happened to most of the prophets? Did they live until they, until they until they, were old people? What happened to them? They died. They were killed for their faith. They were godly men and women, those Old Testament saints. What happened to the apostles? They died for their faith. And so this, this idea of if suffering comes to you, You've sinned, you've done something wrong, or you just haven't figured out how to appropriate the spiritual riches that have come to you is just a false teaching. And it's not true. Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Now, what, before we move on to the second point, let me remind us what he said For to this you have been called. You're going to be like Jesus because Jesus suffered, because Christ suffered for you, and you've been called. To be like him and what he is saying in this is he is saying this you need to think about you need to meditate on you need to be the kind of people who are cross-centered people and we're going to talk about the substitutionary death here um, in a moment but you and I will be the kind of people that are just deeply moved when we sing songs about the cross we sing songs about heaven, when we sing songs about forgiveness, it ought to move us because of what has been done for us. He suffered for us, and Peter's reminding us meditate on this reality of what has been done for you. The perfect one suffered for you and I, he took our place and Peter knew this reality as well as anyone and he's writing to these believers he's reminding them listen you've been called to this what you're experiencing this is a reality of what it means to walk with him and so of all the visions of Christ in the New Testament one of the greatest visions that we can see and one of the greatest visions that the New Testament writers write about is that we look at Jesus on the cross and we are reminded that what took place there is that he took our place and praise his name today for that he took our place and he bore his sins our sins in his body so peter is letting us know listen to this you've been called because christ suffered for you leaving you an example now i'm going to ask some of you you probably can't think back this far although this is a little younger crowd than the first service do you remember first grade I I thought back this week, remember those books in first grade where you learned how to write and you had the A and the B and there were dotted lines and you kind of had to fill those in? When Peter writes, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, this phrase in the Greek, leaving you an example, is literally that. The Greeks were doing this a long time ago, where you... You know, you've got print there and you put a paper on top and you learn and you, you can see the word underneath and so you copy it. So there's two ideas with this Greek form. So one, the kids in ancient Greek, they would, they would have a text or a sentence there. There would be a paper put on that and they would write and they would copy the saying. So they would learn the saying in their culture, whatever it is, and they would learn how to write Greek. It also literally means this, to trace over the letters to learn them just like we did in first grade. Listen to what Peter says here. It's beautiful. For to this you have been called to suffer unjustly, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. In other words, this, Christ follower, you trace His life. Every line, every word, every step, every motion, every response, every dealing with with hypocrisy every moment of love every moment of forgiveness every word that he said from the cross these seven words and he spoke these things everything about his life you trace it with your life you just mark it you write it down you get it you understand it and the creator of the world and the creator of us is christ who we are to copy we are to be just like Him, look like Him, act like Him, talk like Him, and we are to trace His life in the things that He said, how He walked, we trust His will, and our life is to copy His way in every single kind of way. We've been reading Luke in the W4 this year, chapter 22 this week. We've got three chapters left, and then we're going to step into the book of Acts. But in the Gospel of Luke, we have seen Jesus up close. And so I just want to remind you and I, read the Gospels consistently. Read the Gospels consistently. If you want to trace the life of Jesus and copy the life of Jesus, we see that in the Gospels. And He was unjustly treated in all kinds of ways. Listen to some of these. He was in the will of God. He was loved by the Father. He loved the Father. He was righteous. He was obedient. And yet unjustly suffered. He was misunderstood. He was hated. He was lied about. And yet he loved God perfectly. He was persecuted. He was murdered. And he gives us the greatest example of suffering and how to deal with it when you live a righteous life following God. Thirdly, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Thirdly, that you might walk in his steps, this word "steps" in the Greek means footprints or tracks. I used to go with my dad when I was a kid to the Panhandle of Texas and pheasant hunt. I don't know if anybody's ever pheasant hunted before, but you walk through these corn rows, and we're in Sunray, Texas, and it's just freezing cold, and there's snow on the ground, and and I'm a little kid, and my dad's walking down these, and I've got my boots on, and I'm walking in his steps. Because it's just much easier because he smashed it down to step in his steps and to walk the pathway. This life is hard. Any amens on that? It's a hard life. But if you walk his steps, do what he says, and you'll walk his way and you walk his pathway, it's the only way to live. Suffering may come, but there's deep joy that comes in the midst of the suffering. Because he's the God who changes Our mourning into what? Dancing. He he turns our sorrow into great joy. So watch what he says here. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might walk in his steps and you might follow in his steps. Now watch this. Moving in the same direction Jesus moved in means that we will get deeper fellowship with God. It will also mean there will be deeper misunderstanding from the world. They will not understand. They didn't understand Jesus so much that they put Him on a cross. And they will not understand us, but there's an opportunity. Peter's been reminding us. you can. This is the will of God. That by doing good and walking with God, you would put to silence, this is 2.15, The ignorance of foolish people. That God ultimately, as we walk and we trust in the midst of persecution and injustice, we trust Him, God honors that kind of life. But we are called to walk Christ's path. We are to follow Him. Stepping in the same places where He stepped. Walking exactly in the places where He walked. Placing our feet precisely where His feet were. So let me ask a question. How well are you and I ordering our steps to walk with Him in this way? Let me show you an example of what this looks like. Turn to the book of Acts just for a moment. Acts chapter 5. This is what it looks like to embrace walking in Christ's path. I'll just briefly tell the story. The apostles have been arrested in Acts 5, 17. And and they've been told, quit preaching about Jesus. And they're arrested and an angel comes and lets them go and verse 20, Acts five twenty says, the angel says, I know you've been arrested for this but I want you to go and stand in the temple and speak about Jesus. Speak the words of life. So morning time comes and And they go in to bring them in before the leaders, and the apostles are gone. They've been let loose, and nobody knows where they are. Look at 524. And when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone said, hey, you know those guys you put in prison? They're in the temple preaching and proclaiming Jesus. And so they go and get them, and look at 28. They bring a in, and 28 says, We told you not to teach in this name, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles said, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, and God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given those to those who obey him and they just went crazy at that moment so this guy Gamaliel stands up and says listen guys listen remember other guys have risen up and if this movement is of men it's going to die but if this is of God you better be really careful and so look at 39 uh look at 38 So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may not even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Look at 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. Look at 41. This is what it looks like to walk Christ's path and get it. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. That they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So here's the deal. And it's hard for us, again, in our culture, to get this. But I think we get it, we understand it. And we want to embrace it as much as we can. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might so that you might follow in his steps. Here are men. Walking in his steps and just going, man, it's worth it. It's worth it to suffer for the glory and honor of his name. And they just loved copying his life, tracing his life, experiencing what he experienced, knowing that he suffered, and now walking in the very steps And now what Peter's going to do, he's going to say, listen, this is what this looks like. Here's how Jesus dealt with all of this. He had a deep commitment, even though all of this persecution came, all of this hatred came about him. There was a commitment in his life to say, I'm not going to sin. I'm going to walk with my Father. I'm going to embrace my Father, and I'm going to walk with Him. So look at 2.22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. So watch. Jesus, perfect, innocent, holy, righteous one, should not have been treated the way he was treated. But the darkness and the depravity of man's heart hates godliness and righteousness. And so we hated him. For what he said and how he lived. And Israel rejected him even though this was the part of the plan. He was going to do this. He was going to come. Back to 1 Peter 1. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in these last days for the sake of you who are believers in God who raised him from the dead so that your faith and your hope are in God. So even though this was going to happen, Jesus came and he embraced it all the way to the very end. And by his life and by his lips, he never sinned. I want to touch on those two things just for a moment. He committed no sin. What Peter's going to do, he's going to echo back to Isaiah chapter 53, the most significant Old Testament passage about the suffering servant of Jesus. Isaiah 53, 9 says, and they made a grave, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. ESV uses the word violence. Um, other translations use the word, even though he did not sin. The word violence here, and the understanding from the Hebrew, is violence against God's law, which means to sin. So Isaiah is saying the same thing that Peter is saying, and he's saying this, Jesus committed no sin you ever look at your life and go man how do i make it through the day and and hang on to sanity and purity and godliness and righteousness and at the end of the day just you know it's it's, it's always by his grace it's not by our willpower can you imagine being fully human we know he was fully god he never sinned with his hands with his eyes with his ears, with his feet, and with his body, he committed no sin. When he stood before Pilate, Pilate twice had conversations with Jesus and came out to the crowd and said, Listen, I don't know what y'all are finding in him, but I don't find anything wrong with him. There's nothing wrong with him. Pilate says that in, in John 18, 37, and in John nineteen four. You remember the thief on the cross? one thief two of them there one thief was hurling insults at Jesus the other thief says listen do you not fear god since you under the you are under the same sentence of condemnation and and we you and i other thief we are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds and the, and the one thief says but this man has done nothing wrong. That thief on the cross recognized Jesus was not a sinner. There was nothing wrong about him. Listen to some others. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-four. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. 2 Corinthians five twenty-one. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Hebrews 7.26, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. First John 3.5, you know that He appeared in order to take away sins and in Him there is no sin. First Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, the innocent one, for the unrighteous. Listen. He committed no sin. There's not one sin that you could lay to Him. He was innocent. He was pure. He had no sin of his own by his life. And I don't know what it is about you, but the easiest sin for me to commit is with this thing right here. Is it not? Watch what Peter says. He committed no sin in his body. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. This phrase, found in his mouth, in the Greek means this. Under intense inspection and not finding any evidence of anything. So people lied about what Jesus said, but none of it was true. So when people looked at his life, never the easiest thing to do when he was hanging on the cross and they're mocking him, when they're striking him, he's got the crown of, they're striking him. In his head with this reed and saying, they blindfolded him. Hey, tell us who hit you. And they're mocking him. It would have been easy to just say, "Uh, you're this name and this name and this name. Because he could have done that. He just didn't say anything. Under careful inspection, nothing came out of his mouth that was sinful. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. The word revile here means to verbally lash at someone with the purpose of wounding them in a very significant way. Matthew 26, 57 through 68, Matthew 27, 11 through 14, and Luke 23, 7 through 11 reveal all of these trials that Jesus went through on the night that he was arrested. And there were just lie after lie after lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. After lie, after lie. And listen to what it says in Matthew 27, 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, Jesus gave no answer. He didn't answer them. He didn't say anything. He talked to Pilate, but he didn't talk to them. And then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But Jesus gave no answer. Not even to a single charge. So that Pilate was greatly amazed that Jesus just said, I don't need to answer that. I don't need to answer that. Luke tells us, Luke 23, 9 says, so he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. And when he suffered, he did not threaten. Let me remind us what happened to him that night. He just trusted all the way through and didn't threaten revenge. They spit on him. They pulled his beard out. They punched him. They put a robe on him, on his bleeding body then as it began to clot they ripped it off of him they pushed thorns into his head they used words to defame him they blindfolded him and hit him they drove nails into his hands into his feet and through it all he remained silent and if anyone could have threatened maybe in a moment you would think okay jesus might could have done that but he never did but when he hung on the cross he just said these words father what did he say forgive them they don't know what they're doing he committed no sin in his body, neither under careful inspection could you find anything deceitful and sinful in his mouth. Peter writes it like this. We'll look at this um, in a couple of weeks. First Peter 3.9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on contrary, bless. For to this you are called also, he says, that you may obtain a blessing. So how in the world do you not retaliate? If you come up and punch me, Rachel Reasoner, this morning, I'm probably going to say something to you. (laughs) How did he not say something? At least say something. You know why he didn't? Here's what Peter says. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. This phrase, entrusting, listen to what it means. It means to deliver or to hand something over to someone else so that they can keep it, they can use it, they can take care of it, or they can manage it. That's what the word means. So here's what Jesus did. In every beating, in every pulling of his beard, in every mocking, with the nails, walking, carrying the cross, he just continued to say, I'm giving this to you, Father. I'm giving this to you, Father. I'm giving this moment to you. I'm giving this evil to you. I'm giving this mocking to you. I'm entrusting you. You take care of this because you judge justly. And I'm just going gonna, gonna to entrust myself to you. I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. So that's what you do. Here's how you handle it. You continue to entrust the righteous judge. And this trust of his vindicated him as he led a satisfied life that pleased God the father and he kept doing this all along for he trusted the father and he wanted the father to get the glory in all ways and he knew that the father would make things right and so when injustice comes to us we just keep trusting the father just like jesus did and i've got one of those jobs where people talk about me i know that you may have one of those jobs as well and sometimes i want to pick up the phone when i hear stuff Or I want to send an email. And a lot of times I call James Roberts. He's my sounding board. And I just say, James, here's what I'm dealing with. And James always says, biblical counsel me, and he says, you just got to let it go. And you just got to trust God with that. You don't need to defend yourself. Don't defend yourself. And so when injustice comes to us, whatever form it is, and there's persecution that comes, we got to be like Jesus. Yeah, but I'm an American. I have my rights. I get to say something back. You know, talk radio tells me that I can do this. Instagram allows me. Facebook, eh, no it doesn't. Nothing trumps Scripture. He didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. He just continued entrusting himself. Now look at 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and by his wounds you have been healed this is called the substitutionary death of Jesus that theologians speak of and it specifically addresses it here in 224 as well as 2nd Corinthians five twenty-one. and both Peter and Paul see this Same thing, and it's called substitution, and it's at the heart and the center of the gospel. Jesus is the only person who never committed sin. Therefore, the punishment that He bore on the cross when He died, it could be accepted by the Father as satisfaction for the payment and price of sin in regard to the justice that has to come because of sin. As a matter of fact, let me remind you of this. This one amazes me. I love Jesus and I look in this room and I know you do too and you love the purity and the holiness and the glory of Jesus. Let me tell you something that he became for us. This is Galatians 3:13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. Same thing that Peter writes He Himself bore in His body our sins. His body, He bore it. He became the substitute, what we deserved. He stepped in and said, I take, because Father, this is Your plan. And He embraced the role. And so listen to what this says to us. Jesus was made a curse for us. He bore, he himself bore our sins in his body. He became the one who took my place. And if this hadn't taken place, then I'm still in the place of being condemned and there's no hope for me. If he does not take my place and if my sins and my guilt are not given to him and he does not take them, then I have to keep them and I have no power to deal with them. And if the penalty for my sin was not laid on him, then I have to continue to carry my sin and I have to take on the penalty. Either he takes it or I have to take it. And I can't take it. He's the only one who's worthy to do so. And he did this willingly. He was not forced to do it. He embraced it. He was not, listen to me, he was not a martyr. He is the Son of God bearing in His body the sin of the world becoming a curse so that you and I would not have to carry the weight of our sin. So He Himself bore our sins in His body. This word bore means this, to carry a heavy weight. And it was a significant weight. And I could go on and on with text about His body. He bore it in His body. Jesus never sins In His Spirit, He never did. He bore our sins in in His body. You remember Yom Kippur, the high day of atonement? Remember the high priest would come to a goat, and what would the high priest do? He would speak the sins of the people on the goat, and and it would be led out into the wilderness, representing that that the sin was being taken away on that high day of atonement that year. The, The word atonement means to cover. The sins in the Old Testament were covered but they weren't canceled. Can I tell you something really good in the New Testament? Not only are sins covered, but they're canceled. Wow. Hear that today. He, as He hung there, bore from the garden to the end of time, He bore the sin of the world in His body as He hung on the cross. And by faith in Him, our sin gets covered and our sin is canceled. That's love, folks. That's amazing grace. And we should taste it this morning. And we should raise our hands this morning. We should get on our knees. And we should just go, why, God, why? Uh, And then we try to answer the question, I don't know why. And so I just want to respond and say, All glory to you. All glory to you. So he himself bore in his body our sins that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed. This phrase, by his wounds you have been healed, in the Greek, means the trickling of blood that comes from blow after blow from deep serious bruising. And it's a reminder, Peter's writing, of when Jesus was beaten before he got to the cross. Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. Let's close with 25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Again, echoes Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one... To his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this is idea of Peter saying, you once were straying, doing your own thing, but now you've come to faith and you've turned to Jesus. You've returned to the shepherd and overseer, the guardian of your souls. And the role of God as our shepherd is very vivid in the Old Testament. David writes about it. Isaiah writes about it. Ezekiel writes about it this beauty of it and then Peter later in chapter 5 verse 4 talks about he says when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory Jesus in John 10 saw himself as the good shepherd so this is a role that Jesus embraced and the shepherd's main role was a guardian it was an overseer it was a watch care and provider of the sheep and that's what he does for us let me close with this I read the story Um, I think it's fitting as we close today. On a May day in 1555 in England, there was an anointed man of God. His name was Hugh Latimer. And he was sentenced to burn the stake because he was opposed to what was taking place in the Roman Catholic Church. And he had written some things and said some things in regard to the teaching of the church. And... One of his last actions was a letter that he wrote um, to the believers in England and he wanted them to hear it and this is what he wrote. He said, Die once we must. How and where we know not. But here is not our home. Let us therefore accordingly consider things having always before our eyes that heavenly Jerusalem and the way thereto in persecution. And let us consider all the dear friends of God How they have gone after the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose footsteps let us also follow even to the gallows, if God's will be so, not doubting, but as He rose again on the third day, even so so shall we do at the time appointed of God. That is, when the trump shall blow, and the angels shall shout, and the Son of Man shall appear. And so wrote Latimer. He said, let us go to persecution and suffering the way Jesus went. Well, on that day in May in 1555, when he established this in writing, he had set his own course of his own destiny. He had a friend named Ridley, and they were tied to the stake, and they were fed to the burning flames. Not until Latimer, said, who everyone said was astonishingly composed, said to his colleague, Burning alongside him these words, "Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man today. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. You know, the martyrs are amazing. And they embrace death that way, because guess what? They embraced First Peter 2:21 through25. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. And he just trusted all the way. And that's what you and I must do. We trust all the way to the end, no matter what comes. Is Jesus the all-satisfying thing in our lives? And if he is, we'll embrace whatever may come. We're going to sing a song here in a moment. We've, we've taught you. It's called More Like Jesus. And I want to remind you, I used some people in the early service. So I used some people here. Ryan Phillips, you deserve hell. Mike Bowie, you too. Carrie, Mark, John, Doke. But there was a time in history when the Son of God was living on earth that He stepped and took our place. And He bore in His body our sins so that you and I don't have to bear the wrath of God. So when we sing this song in a moment, more like Jesus, I I don't want you to forget about the substitutionary death of Jesus that he bore our sins. He took them on, all of it, so that we would be free. Not shackled anymore, but free. And let's sing it out. I know this is an exciting Mother's Day sermon. Don't you feel, don't you feel loved, mothers, this morning? I hope you do, because you cannot be a good mother unless you get this today, because this is the most freeing thing that can happen. Jesus took your place so that you don't have to try and get on the treadmill of life. Oh, I'm going to try really, really hard. And No, I don't try anymore. I just let Jesus' Spirit reign in me and rule. And I let him live his life as I submit to him. But let's sing this out. He took our place. Let's be more like him. Let's pray.